I'm going to go live. And we are now live. Hello, everyone, and those of you on YouTube, thank you very much for joining us this afternoon on another exciting episode, the 34th BC Motor Tech Tuesday. And of course, we have Ari right here behind you. Let's say wave, Ari. There she's waving. That's her hand. She's waving. Okay, see you. Okay. Hello, CP. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Greetings, everyone. Wow, so many of you with tons of questions. And guys, I want you to meet someone really exciting today. Okay? I have some visitors from overseas. Alfie says, hey, Ari. Hey, Alfie. Okay. Here's my good friend, Dr. Ahmed. Here he is right here. He's with, uh, come on in. Yep, lean in. He's with Interco. And here's Abdullah right here with him as well. My good brother is there. Here we go. So they are from all the, yes, their company's Interco. They're all the way in Dubai in the UAE. So they came all the way out here to join us as well. So those of you on Instagram may not see them because of the orientation of the phone. But on YouTube, you see them right here. And I'll get them involved in some of the cool questions. They have a fascinating market, which is awesome. So guys, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, in normal fashion, for those of you on YouTube, I get these questions that come in that are written in hard form. And we get to answer them live and answer some of your questions live as well. Um, Jack, I have so many insights on the first car. Hello, Chrissy. Good seeing you as well. Hello, James. Thank you for joining us. All the way from Wales. Thank you for joining us, Gary. And forgive us. I know you guys are having a bit of a warm spell out there in the, in the UK, but it's really hot out here. Hey, Sam. Sam, I called your wife by mistake. I'm so sorry that I called your wife. I shouldn't be calling your wife like that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I butt dialed her. But um, she took it in all good spirits. So thank you so much, guys, for joining. Ricky, good seeing you. Hello, Seth. Seth, I will get to your questions, but Ari is going to whip me if I do not answer her question. She has two pages of stuff. Hello, Eric, all the way from Greece. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Saul. Thank you so much for the well wishes, guys. I'd also like to thank my guests here for coming all the way from overseas to visit us. Hello, Clint from Canada. Greetings to see you as well. And I'd love to answer your questions about RWB, so hang tight. Let's see what Ari has, and I'll go in and out from the questions, but I promise to get to all the questions that are written in. And for those of you who are on podcasting, thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully the voice today is better so that you can be able to enjoy this interaction, whether you're jogging, walking your dog, on the toilet, at the gym, <laughs> wherever the case may be. Okay? Hello, Costa Rica. Thank you for joining us, CRI, Sir Crivera. Um, the internships are here, Ricky. We can make it happen. You just have to write to us at lab at bcmo.com. Send in your resume. Billy heard us on Smoking Tire. I didn't know it was out yet, so I look forward to definitely listen to that. Hear my weird voice again that I listen to every day. Anyway, okay. Without further, you missed it. See, James missed the guest introduction. So, James, just for you, and for those of you who just joined us, because there are quite a few of you here, even all the way from the East Coast and overseas, I'm doing great EJ6. I have two great guys, hardcore enthusiasts. I mean, they make what we do here in the U.S. almost rubbish. They are really, 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 really crazy enthusiasts. And this is Dr. Ahmed. Yes, he's a physician. And here's Abdullah as well. They came all the way from the UAE. They have a facility out there in the greater Dubai area. Fantastic. If you're ever in that vicinity and you need parts, design, interaction, anything fast, go fast. Intracro is the place to be. Inter... Intraco. 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 Intraco is the place to go. Okay. Hey, Hedy's here. Oh. You should be driving. You shouldn't be looking at some more Tech Tuesdays. But hello, RS. Good seeing you as well. 
Yes. Oh, wow, James. Yes. Up here all. <laughs> okay. So, let me see, let me see your, your sheet, Ari. See this, guys? Let me just show you. These are the questions that came in this morning. So I definitely want to get to all of them. And if I have to extend this, I'll extend it. Not for long. I have, Ari's saying no to me because she has a bunch of appointments for me. I'm great, Maria. How are you? Hope everything is well. Saw your question as well, and we will get to that today. So, um, let's start off, Ari, with the first question and see what goes on. What do we have first so far? question is from Nick Tom Ford. Nick Tom Ford. Which Porsche engine is the best to produce high horsepower? Somewhere ranging about 1,000 plus. Okay, so 1,000 plus, based on my experience, I like the 997 one platform. It gives you the latest in Porsche technology for the water-cooled engine, but still in port injection configuration. So many of those platforms, people tend to put in variable vane turbos. I like to use the static billet ones, and you can make a lot of power. There are many vehicles out there hovering in the 1,600 horsepower range comfortably. Make that with a proper gearbox, and you are good to go. So I hope that answered that question properly, and that's been my experience so far. Yes, I'm still driving the Odyssey. As a matter of fact, Scott, the Odyssey is right there. You can see it right there behind me with a crazy little canopy. And I'll be driving home Friday as well, which is pretty nice. Hello, Honda Pro. Um, I would love to make a new one. I'm going to do something very exciting. So, Matri, if you go on my Bisamoto YouTube page and join, you'll see some great things. Hello, Reggie. Reggie's here. Good seeing you, Reggie. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Hello, Scott. Okay, Ari, what other questions? Do, do we have a car that came in? Is the guy here? Okay. We have some people who want to walk in during this time, which is pretty crazy. And now I've said that, people want to start walking, walking in. in. Okay. <laughs> Oh, it's Angelica, even better. Angelica, you look much better than Reggie, so that works out well. <laughs> Hello, Angelica. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you so much. Um, I would show more about the 935. As a matter of fact, I will do a special program just for that very, very soon. So hang tight. You have to pay attention to our feed, and we'll make that happen. Thank you so much, RS. I appreciate that. Angelica's laughing. Okay. Yes, Ari, what other question do we have? Uh, we have a question from Werewolf4805. Okay. What do you think is the cheapest way for the first-time buyer to get into a good Porsche? Okay, Porsche so... Porsche being okay. about 25 k 25000 Easiest way, first way to get into a Porsche entry-level with twenty five grand. I have the perfect application for you. Don't kill me, though. <laughs> but what I have is my thoughts, Porsche entry, something that has a creature comforts, something that is extremely reliable, doesn't break the bank, looks cool, handles well, an all-round proper Porsche came in. That's my, that's my vote. Doctor, what do you think about that? Agreed. Okay, he agreed. Oh, what do you think about that? Oh, I have to, I have agreement. Ari's like, no. Ari said get a license. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, so that being said, yes, the Cayman, particularly the Cayman S with the 3.4 liter, you can't go wrong whether it's the automatic or with the, I prefer the manual myself. And it's fantastic. With the chrono package especially, you can get a lot of car for that price. So definitely the mid-engine Cayman is the way to go. If you want a little sun, you can do it with a Boxer S. But if you could care less about having a convertible soft top, then definitely the Cayman is the way to go. It is the easiest way to get it. And you say 996, Roman, but 996, if you compare the interior of a 996 NA versus a Cayman 987, the Cayman is very superior. It looks very nice, very elegant, a lot more attractive. It's just... The plasticky look inside the 996, I don't find appealing at all. So, by all means, yeah, Corey, you will love it. A black edition, even better. P 
PM me or DM me some photos. I'd love to be able to take a look. That's so cool. That's so cool. Okay. What else do we have, Ari? Question from Maria 911C4. Maria 911C4. BC, I have a 2002 Carrera 4 six-speed cabriolet, and okay. it runs really strong. I yes. love it. Good. I do want to build my, my car for high horsepower. Okay. Should I trade up to a 996 Turbo or take 20K and upgrade my 996 C4? See, that's a very good question. And the thing is that to make 500 horsepower on the C4, you have to reinforce internals. If you're hovering around 400, 470, thereabout. You can get away, but it's a matter of time before you start breaking components because you can have a lot of fun. But on the same token, if you take that same amount of resource and invest in a 996 Turbo, not an NA non-Turbo, the Turbo version, that gives you the all-wheel drive capability, a very robust gearbox. It gives you the improved interior of the 996 Turbo compared to the C2 or C4. And above and beyond that, the potential of in the factory engine format, getting up to 700 horsepower, which is a turbo upgrade, injectors, and an engine management solution. That's it. Of course, well, in a cooler too, you can add that. So with that, you can easily get that. So the potential is there, the prestige is there, the fun is there, and you don't have to worry about it. As far as I'm concerned, the 996 Turbo, I shared this a couple of episodes ago, is the most underrated supercar out there. Snatch one up. No, I have not worked on a Suzuki boosted SX4. We're just talking about a Suzuki that's going to be <laughs> in the Middle East very soon. I've not worked on one. It's not super popular here in the U.S. And definitely, if they were here in the U.S., I'd love to work with that manufacturer and do some great things, but no, I haven't had that experience yet. But thank you so much for asking. Yes, Harry? We have an AJ question. AJ! I don't, I don't know okay. if I've seen AJ here yet. Not yet. Um, what front and rear suspension and brake setup do you have on Stitch? Does it have IRS? If not, would it be simple? Would it be a simple process to install it, as well as a drum and disc brake conversion? Okay, so thank you so much for the kind words, sir. I'm 911, uh, Maria. I'm, I'm glad to be able to help you out there. So that being said, um, and I'll get to that, Judge, in a moment. Let me answer AJ's question about the inside. So what I have in the front is something very, very, very lightweight. It's akin to what you'd see on a wow cart. It's a single piston floating caliper by Wilwood, very lightweight, single piston with actuation on one side with a very thin non-vented disc with aluminum hat. Weight reduction was very important to me. Rolling resistance was very important to me as well. So in the rear, I also have a single small stopper with an aluminum disc. I do not use the rear to stop the car at all, only the stage. So that being said, I take physics into account when you brake. Weight moves forward. Most of the braking capacity happens with the front brakes. Hence, that's the reason why. TCB, I'll get to the power brake issue in a moment, which I don't have in that car either. And above and beyond that, I have a parachute to help slow me down, which is also a lot of fun. It's really a lot of fun. When you hit the parachute, after 150 miles an hour, the weight just stops you. It feels like you're on a roller coaster. It's so awesome, which is pretty, really nice. So that's what I have. And I do have... A solid beam axle in the back. I took out the factory components, had one that was custom made for lightweight as well. You could use independent suspension using the factory mounting points as well, but it requires some fabrication to incorporate it into the frame. But it's not too difficult at all. And yes, having a drum to disc conversion wouldn't be so bad either. When I did the single custom rear axle assembly, I did incorporate a disc, like I mentioned earlier, that's full aluminum or aluminium. 
or aluminum. <laughs> so I hope that helps. Hello, landscape. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Hello, Creations VR6. Okay. Yes, sorry. Um, if you get the, the, to the question from TCB7. TCB, you're here? Yes. So we'll answer your question right now. He asked, he asked, why no power breaks in the box? Store? Okay. So that's very simple. It is very commonplace with hardcore racers to have excellent feedback. For, oh, keep, they say it keeps pausing. Oh, my thing is pausing. Oh, Don't yeah, you see? True. Yes. Oh, my. Maybe I have to go out and come back in. It's How are we doing now so far? You're still pausing. I'm it's pausing? Very, very oh, that's horrible. It must be our internet. Okay, so guys, here's what I'll do. I'm going to go out and come back in. Yeah, if, if people thought it was, it was them. How are we doing now? Still pausing? You look okay now. I look okay? You're still pausing from okay. time to time. Let's see. I'm going to see if I can go out and come back in. Oh, see if I can get into... This. Uh, this. Let's see if it let me get better. Okay. How are we so far? Because what I did now is I got out of Wi-Fi only. Still pausing? No, you look fine. It's just it's still really grainy. Grainy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Everyone said it's good now. Maybe it's just me. For like four weeks in a row, each Tech Tuesday. Has to be since we're still using Wi-Fi. Okay, no, you're good now. I'm good now. You're way better, way clearer. Way clearer. Yeah. Okay, everyone said I'm good now. No wonder people are dropping off. Now they're coming mm -hmm. back in. Okay, so what were we talking about earlier? Um, no power breaks. Power breaks, yes. So, one thing about power breaks, sir. Thank you so much. No, no, yes. Everyone saying thumbs up. Way better now. Okay. Beautiful. Okay, clear on your end. Thank you, guys. Thank you for your feedback. For those of you on YouTube, we sometimes have these weird technical difficulties. But we get through it. And for you use podcasting, sorry about that. Okay. Fine quality over in the... See, the UK has it going on, but Santa is way better. So I will combine the two. I just have... What happens, guys, is that people try and call in, and it messes up the whole feed while I'm doing that. So, hey, Michelle, thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. Beautiful. I'm glad to hear that. Causing coffee in my shop to promote? I think that's a smashing idea. I would definitely do that. And I love criticism. It's great. Constructively, of course. Okay. So, power breaks, what I hear from the track is I, I interviewed a lot of racers at the track, both old school and new school Porsche guys, and they want to get the feedback from the brakes. So, the one thing also that lends is a very good way in having non-power brakes is, if you recall, as Sam did the fabrication on the car, we had the opportunity to have telescoping pedals. And those telescoping pedals can be quite challenging if you have a boosted setup. It can be done, but it's quite challenging. The one thing I haven't played around with, if there's concern, which I think one journalist had a concern about stopping power with it, is the material used for the pads. So before I go crazy and start boosting it, I'm going to play around with pad configuration and also the master cylinder size to improve on the feel and responsiveness of the braking system. But by all means, you know, that being said, well, Ferenc, you're saying I can airplane mode it? That's what I did before and you guys didn't like it. So when I removed the airplane mode, it got much better. So there's something going on. I also had a strange update today with my Apple phone, which is interesting. So that being said, um, those are the two opportunities that we would do to improve before I start doing boosting. But the feedback is really, really precise. A lot of that is dampened if you do go boosted. So that's the reason why. On my personal cars, on my blue 911 back here, it is non-boosted. On the inside, it's non-boosted. And I stopped just fine with those race cars. 
until I somebody increase your power, then it gets a little more difficult, which is pretty interesting, you know? Oh, oh wow. Yeah, Maria, that's, that's, that's not the case. That's not the case. But I hope I was able to help you out by all means, okay? Um, I don't, do we answer, EA POV said a question about S2K swap? Do you have something like that? Okay, we're getting to you. I have so many. Let me, let me see that paper again. See this? This is the crazy questions everyone wrote in, which is cool. I appreciate that. But, okay, here we go. Okay, so what other questions do you have, Ari? Question from the Heat Seeker. The Heat Seeker? Interested in getting more info on the potential of the 997s if boosted. Okay. Factory non turbo models. Okay. Just picked up a C2S yes. and looking at what can be done. Shooting okay. for 500 wheel horsepower at least. So here's the thing. I, I, I really appreciate the enthusiasm, but I'm very big on reliability. So even though we have access to the non-turbo Porsches and we can boost those reliably, pushing the limits, getting closer to 70, 80 horsepower per cylinder is not what those engines were designed for, especially with the high compression application. So on the same token as I mentioned earlier, if you want to hover in the mid-fours, no problem. I'm even developing a kit that should be out later part of the year to allow you to, your 98, you know, 996, 997 on turbos, to allow a twin turbo application using turbonetics and possibly a flash, but definitely an infinity will be an easier uh, option as well, to allow for great reliability, improved enjoyment, and a lot of fun with a non-turbo application. But when you start pushing towards five, six, seven hundred horsepower, you have to address the shortcomings. The blue portion behind me here may pass a thousand, is now comfortable at 850, but I had to build the engine, sleeve it, rods, pistons, I did all of that. But that being said, I had to address all the failure points on the engine. If you want something where you just want to bolt on, not invest as heavily as I did, you need to, in my opinion, allow for a less aggressive horsepower goal. So that being said, I hope that answers your question properly. If you want to have in the fours to mid fours, no problem. If you definitely want to push it further, either you invest in the engine properly, or you may want to part with that car and buy a turbo model. I already said it's blurry again, is that correct? This is very peculiar. I've used the same setup, but I don't know what's going on with our network. So I apologize guys if it's a network issue. How are we doing so far? Not as clear, but it's not okay. Can you guys hear me properly at least? I'll keep going. You can hear me properly. Okay, sounds good. Thank you, Alfie. Appreciate that. Okay, what other questions do we have, Ari? We got a question from, let's see, let's do EAPOV. Best engine swap for S2000, preferably Honda and NA. J37 with ITBS, with, I'm sorry, ITBs? ITBs on a J series is, is quite interesting because of how the valley seems or how it exists in the center. Um, so that being said, best engine to swap an S2K. LS. Doctor's laughing. Doctor's laughing. LS swap is awesome. I don't know if Ivy's happy with me or mad at me. I don't know. But um, I would say within the Honda family. Yeah, J37. J35, J37 is the way to go. Um, ITBs for that, only because of configuration, you can do a cross application, which can be quite involved financially. Um, I, I, I'd love Boost. And I think, I, I think Alfie had a question about Boost, which yeah. I'll get to later on. But um, definitely, a, a, you know, a J would be the way to go. I agree. See, people, they like my LS. People like my LS thing. Maybe I should play around with that. Then S2K, I'm throwing LS in there. See yeah. that? 
See what happens. Okay. And that's everything. And that's the world. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay, question from 5.0 Felix. 5.0 Felix. In regards to turbo cars, is an air oil separator a good idea? Yes. Or can you get away without one? What are the benefits of installing one, and what are the cons, if any? Okay, the air oil separator is just an elegant way of saying an oil cooler and using a cooling system to do that. So instead of using um, ambient air to cool down the oil, um, you incorporate the cooling system to help with that application. It is a great idea. Um, some of the challenges you have is if you have a faulty device, you can have an intermix where, and many older Porsches yeah. see that, older water-cooled Porsches, where that device fails and you start getting water in your oil and oil in your water, it doesn't make for a very happy time for the engine. And that was a big challenge years ago when oils weren't that great. But nowadays when we have oils with great thermal and chemical stability, um, like the Puro that we use, I have the hat on here, and that's why I use exclusively, it's not necessarily a big challenge. It's nothing that you have to have. And forgive my demeanor, guys. It's really warm here. It's really warm back here. So forgive me if I'm a little oily or a little sweaty. Um, but nonetheless, it's a nice to have. Yes, milkshake. Absolutely, KB. It's a nice to have, but not something that you need to have, especially if you have a proper oil like the Pure that we recommend, which is pretty nice. And yes, it exists in the 996 and 997. 996, 997 turbo engines have them as well. Um, but once again, they don't know. As a manufacturer, I do the same thing. I don't know what quality of lubricant that my customers would use. So it's better to err on the engineering side to something that is very widespread or wide appeal. So if someone puts rubbish oil in, at least the engine's okay. If someone puts good oil in, at least it's very good, which is very nice. Um, yeah, so EJ6 says, BC, I've seen many people in Hondas throw rods when doing time attack because of lack of lubrication. Should I get a dry sum system if I'm doing this kind of racing? 98 Civic D16Y7. Great question, EJ6. So there are many things going on there. One, oil is not a commodity. It really is a performance part. And you want to be able to use oils that have excellent shear stability and have the opportunity to stick to metal surfaces, which is why I'm a huge advocate of Group 4 and Group 5 base stock oils, which help with that as well. Secondly, the D16Y7 and Y8s are not the best bottom ends to use for what you're trying to explore. Meaning... That being said, most engines from Honda days before and back to now oil from the center outwards. The Y7 and Y8, something clever happened where the oiling starts from one side of the engine and oils to the end of it. And what happens is when you have an opportunity where you have a lubricant that's not ideal and or you get some aeration or cavitation or even some air into the system due to a high G-force, the one that gets the least amount of oil, the rods and the crank journals that are farther away from the source tend to get starved. The bearing catches, you throw a rod and spin a bearing or both. So that being said, I would encourage you to do two, maybe three major things. One, improve your quality of oil because even when you have slight aeration issues, a purple oil can save you. Two, Think of the opportunity of exploring a different bottom end. Even if you keep your Y head, think of something from the earlier Z or A generation for your D16. And last but not least, baffle, baffle, baffle. Even though the factory baffle is there and does an okay job for street fairing vehicles, when you start doing any kind of time attack, road racing, where you're using our compounds or slicks, you definitely need to 
take advantage of physics and keep oil in the sump where it belongs. So I hope, hope that helps. Munich is asking, why not build one natural aspirated Porsche? I've built quite a few, Munich. The reason why you probably don't know is because they're not popular because people don't really share them. So I love natural aspiration. My roots are natural aspiration. When I was in college, that's all I drove. ITBs, big on that. All the records I have are from natural aspiration. I love using atmospheric pressure to make power. But today's environment, people love fire. They love anti-lag. They love going fast. So I, I really build what people ask me to build. My clients all ask me to build turbo cars for them. So that's the reason why. But from a NA perspective, there's one project I did a year and a half ago. It was a charity project for the Boys Republic with great partners from McKenna, from um, our friends with uh, uh, Dunkel Brothers. Um, there's one other, let me see, a good conservation company that helped us as well. But anyway, this was something where I took an early G-Body, 1980 G-Body, backdated it to look more like a 73, took out the 3.0 engine with mechanical injection, and infused a 3.6-993 engine with ITBs, and a GT3 intake manifold from a 996. So that allowed me to not only have the latest and greatest air-cooled engine that Porsche offered, it allowed me to address the restrictive manifold by putting individual throttle bodies, and then also using Porsche's technology of chamber volume chain, um, of, of interaction and pulse tuning to incorporate a water-cooled intake manifold with the same bore spacing and making that all work together. Plenum, chambers and all. And we end up getting north of 350 horsepower, which is really, really nice. So I have done that, but you know what? Since it didn't have troubles hanging out, didn't shoot flames, many people don't remember it. But I will post a picture of that today so you can take a look. But I have done quite a few. My 964 is NA, my Slant Nose is NA, um, the 914 I picked up is NA for now. Um, so that being said, quite a few people, see, uh, um, Jay Ken remembers it, so it was very nice. Um, James, that was a gray one. It's a silver one with the nice Magnus Walker uh, 1552 wheels. Very clean. It was like super, super clean. But um, so my older clientele loved it, said it was really elegant, really pretty. And it fetched close to uh, six figures when we had the Meekum when we auctioned away for the, uh, for the uh, charity. But the younger guys, the youth, my biggest market, I would say, or people that pay attention to me, many, many of you, is 18 to 34. And you guys prefer my crazy, you know, balls hanging out the back of the car with shooting flames and so on and so forth. So that's, that's, the, de that's the deal. Um, Tiffin is asking, could I boost a 964-993NA? Um, would it up upgrade? You can boost it. So we did a car a few years back for EA, for the Need for Speed franchise. And that was the video game company for Need for Speed. And I was, if you see the installment before last, you see me in the game, you interact with me in the club, you interact with me um, in the diner, and when you win, you see me there congratulating you as well. Well, we did one 400 horsepower. So you can generate 400 horsepower on a stock 993-964 engine. You have to upgrade injectors. You have to get rid of the math and go with speed density. I use an AM Infinity on, on each one, a single turbo, and it's a lot of fun. And you can do it reliably. The key thing is that you have to have, be very careful with your vision timing and get proper fuel, and you'll be good to go, which is pretty nice. Um, when will I start my EV journey? I already have. You see right here behind me? That is a hybrid. As a matter of fact, um, years ago, in 2009, we built a hybrid for Honda that made 533 horsepower. This one, I went to opposite direction, 
and came up with this concept called the hyperionic ionic, hyperconic ionic, and we got it to 83 miles per gallon. So we went the other way with efficiency, a slight departure for us at BC Model, but a nice welcome challenge, which is a lot of fun. Okay, so Ari's giving me the look. I have to get back to more questions. So, Ari, what questions do we have? We have a question from Sal 479. Sal 479. Out of all your cars, yes. which one is your favorite and why? Ooh, that's a great question. It's a very popular question. Doctor, what do you think is my favorite car in this, in this facility? What do you think? The Cayman. Oh, he said it was the, it's the little boxman Cayman I have over here. So, what do you think is my favorite one? A blood. Okay. Same thing. Yeah. Well, they're right. Ari says no. She's cheats because she knows better. Well, so, here's the thing. <laughs> I can't pinpoint a favorite car. I cannot. I have three favorite cars based upon need or appeal. So when it comes to a popular car, like one that I drive and people, oh my God, is the BC model? The Odyssey. Odyssey, no matter what I build, I can build a 917 quad turbo and people still work. How's the van? <laughs> so when it comes to popularity, that van is just absolutely superb crazy. He says, Ari Super as well. <laughs> You're so naughty, Alfie. Um, when it comes to just sheer, can I say terror? The blue one. This thing scares me a little bit, but I'm comfortable with it. But I'm not like, I won't misbehave because I know she'll bite me. But when journalists jump into this thing, whether it's Spike Ferencen from, you know, the car matchmaker on Esquire, whether it's Matt Farah. They're like, this thing shouldn't be on the street. It is terrifying. It should not, shouldn't be legal. So it's a really fun favorite car because it's just absolutely scary now. And it's scary before. But when it comes to a driver-centric vehicle, one that's very comfortable and predictable and puts you as one with the road, the doctor, the good doctor is right. It is the boxman. Um, that car is just fantastic. And Right when you get comfortable with it, there's a button on the steering wheel you can press, and it gives additional 106 horsepower. Nice. Immediately. Not nitrous. Mm -hmm. I use boost control. Oh, okay. So I have a push to pass where you press it and the boost duty comes up. And at least with nitrous, it can empty after a while. Even if you use a curve system with, with uh, some kind of battery pack, you have to regenerate mm -hmm. it. This is at liberty. You can keep your finger on it, or you can press it when you need it. It's really fun, which is pretty nice, you know? Ari seems like a quite good fit for the team. Smart humor and attitude keeps me in check. Yeah, she does. She's actually being polite to me. She cracks the whip. She does not play around. She does not play we around. We have guests. We have guests, so she has, to be, she has to be very, very polite. Okay. So, what else do we have, Ari? A uh, question from professional username. Professional username. Is a $10,000 TPC turbo kit worth it on a 25000 Cayman? So, he's asking, a, a turbo kit that's $10,000, is it worth it on a car that's maybe twenty dollars to $25,000? And it depends on you. So, I shared this story before how Portia brought my team and I out. That's before Ari, and she's so sad that she wasn't there with us. But Portia, from time to time, would invite us out to go and test cars at the racetrack for them. And I'm, I'm sure their goal is to get me to buy new Porsches. They're trying to get me to buy a new car. But nonetheless, um, we have a good time testing different cars. And... I tested the Cayman R, and it was fantastic, so balanced, so much fun, but it needed more power. I feel that adding a turbo kit, especially we have one coming in soon, and Alfie says no to that brand, but um, I'm developing our own, and it's going to be really, really cool and really fun, but I feel that if that is your mindset where you want to have something unique and different, it's a really good update, and for that price, it's a smashing price. 
But if you want something that's OEM, factory, you want to go to dealership, drop it off, you don't want to think about it, you just want uh, to resell, buy, whatever people talk about. I'm not, I don't subscribe to that. I'm not, I don't subscribe to that mantra. Um, if that's the case, then yeah, um, you can go with a standard turbo from factory, you know. AJ came in late. So AJ, because you came in late, I answered so many of your questions, you're going to have to watch our replay or listen to our podcast through iTunes. I think now we have it on Spotify or go on YouTube. But I answered some of your questions, but you still have more to come, which is pretty nice, which is pretty nice. Um, do, do like when locals come to the shop? I don't understand your question. I don't know if you're asking, do I like when locals or can locals come? Um, right now we have a project that's over there that can be exposed to the public. The doctor can see it because he's crazy too and he signed an NDA. I've lost on a verbal NDA as well, so they can, they can talk about it until it's done. But that's the reason why I can't bring people in um, until, that's, until that's done. So give me a couple weeks, and then by all means, um, you can come in and we'll show you around. Maybe a couple months. I would just give me a look. My most expensive build here, initially, it was the Odyssey minivan. Currently, it's a build that I'm doing now, which is kicking my butt. I'm broke because of it. Crazy. <laughs> okay. Yes, Ari. What else do we have? Let's get to an AJ question. AJ! We'll get to one of your questions. Would the use of an ultra-thin head gasket on a standard K2082 or uh -huh. any other NA engine uh -huh. increase the power enough to justify replacing it over the factory one by increasing compression ratio? Yes, it does, especially if you do it yourself, AJ. So I'm a huge advocate of single-layer gaskets. As a matter of fact, my F22 on the inside, single-layer. So I'd buy like um, a standard or uh, five-layer gasket and use like five times. Okay, four times. I don't use a center metal layer, but yes, it does. It helps increase static compression, which yields more power via increased heat. As I've mentioned many times, our internal combustion engines are just glorified energy converters. So that being said, yes, it does help. The challenge is whenever you reduce the distance between the camshaft and the crank, that you is. automatically, well, above him, yeah. <laughs> he's good at safety, I like that. Um, it does retard timing. So you do have to take the right measures to advance your timing properly. If you have something where you have a, a, a digital advance like IV tech, that's easy. If you have a cam gear, that's not so bad. But you definitely want to degree the cam in to make sure that they're proper. But there are power gains there, by all means. You also have the ch slight challenge of, of, especially if you have aftermarket camshafts, of reducing your piston valve clearance, which could be a big problem. So just for numbers to put out there for you, AJ, because I know you appreciate this. Um, and I'm very careful with my driving. I like to hover around um, 90,000 uh, pieces of valve clearance on intake and about 110 on exhaust. Uh, for my clients, a little bit tighter, maybe 20,000 tighter on my, own, on my own setups. Yes, you can have valve to piston issues, but most gaskets exist in the 28 to 30,000 thickness range. So going to an 8,000 is not setting the world ablaze, but you definitely want to check that by all means, you know? You know, you're right. Um, MJ Photograph is our neighbor over here, takes excellent photos, great enthusiasts as well. When I go across the pond, AJ, you and I just sit down and do like a session ourselves. You are awesome. I really appreciate your, your questions. We all learn from it. So thank you so much. Okay, what else do we have, Ari? Question from Alfie. Alfie! I get to your question and you're still here, so that's good. Okay, he says, it appears that you prefer Boost to NA. Why? <laughs> this may seem like an obvious question, but Porsche has some wild NA motors. Could an NA Mesger 4.0 or the Sharkworks 4.1 be an option for a future build of yours? So Alfie asked a question, why do I do so many freaking boosted cars? Am I against NA? Why do I do Porsche NA? Alfie, um, I mentioned earlier, 
I hone my teeth in natural aspiration. That's my, it's what I enjoy. I love the challenge of it. I love going to racetrack and drag racing. Turbo cars with my NA stuff and spanking them. I love it. It's so much fun. You see a look on their faces when they get beat by a single cam almost. It's crazy. <laughs> but to be honest with you, if you think about technology, being able to get as much air into the engine as possible with an appropriate amount of fuel and creating power is something that helps with efficiency significantly. So that's the technology side that's appealing to me. But above and beyond that, my customers, Alfie, that's what they demand. They ask that of me. And... Um, my team even believes, you know, NA sounds good, but last time I went out, so, and James, you may have tested this, last time I went out to um, Button Willow to race, there was a Mercedes-Benz GTR that was giving me a hard time. So this is the, like, this supercar Mercedes that looks almost like a Viper, the GTR. Yeah. The thing was giving me a hard time on the track. Now, I'm not a great driver. I'm very slow in corners. But I knew I could take this guy. If I didn't have my button in the boxman, he would have spanked me up and down that track. So that being said, there's an advantage of having boost to your, to, your, to your disposal. But deep down inside, I love, I really, really, really love natural aspiration. I love the sound. I love the, how it revs. I love the lack of lag. I love so many things about it, and I love the challenge. But to keep the doors open, to make customers happy, I have to continue to bark on turbocharging. It's, it's really cool. So I hope that helps you a little bit, Alfie, and I hope that answers your question properly. Hello. So I see a question came in, which I definitely want to get to Ari, so please don't kill me. Okay. But there's a question that came in about Vitara pistons and aftermarket rods. I don't know if you know about this, Doctor, about Vitara pistons, but you know, you're familiar with the Suzuki Vitara. Yes. So the Suzuki Vitara, the old school SUV, small one, it's like a, close to the Samurai back in the day. Someone, very clever, um, noticed that the, 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 the compression height of that engine is very similar to one of the Honda engines that's very popular, the D16. Um, Z6, A6, all the D-series non-VTECs and VTEC single cams. And people decided that since the dome is much lower and it sits below the deck, it's a good low compression alternative. But it still casts. Now the problem with the Vitara, and AJ knows he's saying, oh dear, is it is a cast piston and it's not a superior cast material or process that was used to forge it. Um, are we lagging? We're pausing. I have no idea what's going on here. How are we doing so far? It's still Even pausing. the camera, this one paused too. It must be our Wi-Fi. Yes, because we had a problem with the email earlier as well. Yeah. Lag from Canada. Frozen. How are we doing so far, Ari? You're, I mean, you're, still, you're live, but it's grainy. Okay, it's grainy, but I think you can still hear me. Yeah, yeah that grainy stuff is pretty annoying. Okay. I'll try and continue, guys. But the Vitara thing, why people buy it because it's cheaper. Cheap, yeah. Now, here's the challenge with it being cheap with the Vitara pistons. When they go out and they do break, if you have a little detonation, a little pinging, a little pregnition, or just the sheer stress of boosting, they don't break. They disintegrate. Nice. And when they disintegrate, they form this very violent powder matrix, which goes in... It, cure, it kills the turbo. It gets into the head. Kills the head. It kills so many things. The beauty of having forced pistons is if you have a problem, whether you run lean, you torch it, it will just probably just melt. But it's, it keeps integrity intact to some, to some degree. But with Vitara, when it goes out, it disintegrates, 
and it takes a bunch of stuff with it. It kills your turbo. So now instead of you just changing your block out or honing it or sleeving it or boring it out and putting new pistons, you now have to buy a new turbo, you have to get your head done. In my opinion, it's a penny-wise pound foolish. Expecting great reliability from a cheap product is silly. It's like, I don't know, I talked about this last week. It's like trying to find a, a whore and making her your girlfriend and wife. And you expect her to be a good mother. And she's a horrible lady and she goes around whoring everywhere and little salute, you know? And you expect her to be a good mother and, and, and wife to you? No. You cannot expect cheap pots to become a great reliability platformer or a foundation for you. It just doesn't happen, you know? Forged, if you want forged pistons, EJ6, you should go to a company like Trom, make proper forged pistons with the right deck height, do it well. Um, they are cast pistons. Vitar pistons by nature is what Suzuki used for a low horsepower engine. And to save a buck, it's not worth it. You can do whatever you'd like, but my opinion is to begin with the end in mind. Save up, spend 500 bucks, get the right piston set. Don't spend a couple hundred bucks because when it goes out and they do go out, it takes out the turbo and you spend more than $300 differential to fix your turbocharger. Okay? Thank you so much, DJ. Thank you. AJ's laughing and crying. Everyone's, maybe it's my horror snoot statement. Okay. So, wow, 41 minutes. Can you believe we've been here 41 minutes? It's crazy. Ooh, okay. BJ said I'm on the hose. Yes. Okay. So, yes, sorry. Another AJ question. AJ? Using the 996 turbo as an example, why would OE manufacturers use lesser flowing cylinder heads on the turbo variant of a particular engine? Why not use the better flowing NA head on the turbo version for superior efficiency? That's a great question. So he's asking why do turbocharged applications always use a small cross-sectional area in the head opposed to using a very nice flowing head and making power all, all across the board. So that being said, AJ, if you think about it, it's quite simple. Um, most people don't drive crazy. Many of us do, but most people don't. With smaller cross-sectional area in the head ports, you have much more velocity, which lends itself to great throttle response in low RPMs. Then we combine it with supercharging, you now have the opportunity, or supercharging or turbocharging, you have the opportunity to eat your cake and have it too. Low RPM, nice throttle response, especially in a car that could be presumed laggy. And then the high RPMs, you have the boost to help create more power by forcing more air into the combustion chamber. So that's the reason why. If you start off with a larger combustion chamber, I mean larger port volume, and add a turbocharger to it, you may see more pronounced lag. You don't have the velocity you have with a smaller one. So that's the reason why. But for people like us, and the good doctor, and Abdullah, we love power. We don't care. Lower PM, what is that? It's rubbish. So we don't care, but we want to be able to have a full experience. But if we were selling, if we start a car company, and we're selling cars to the masses, to a variety of enthusiasts, to a very wide market, to a variety of people. We want something that appeals to the masses. So we would also design a cross-sectional area head that is relatively small, but uses turbocharger or supercharger to force air into the engine for more power and high RPMs. So I hope that answers your question properly, my friend. Okay, how are we doing on, are we still laggy? We are laggy? A little. A little bit? Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> It's Instagram. Let's blame Instagram. It is. Okay, so I have a few more minutes. I may have to go out and come back in um, because they limit me at one hour. 
But um, yes, Ari, what okay. else do you have? A uh, question from Joey Sobs. Joey Sobs. In reference to the blue 911, yes. does this have a push to pass button too? No, it does not. Um, I only have a very simplistic um, boost per speed function. So what I do to maintain it is at lower RPMs um, and low speeds, I think if my memory serves me correctly, from zero to 40 miles an hour, I'm at wastegate. And after that, it gradually ramps up to full boost to get me to the 850 wheel horsepower, which is pretty nice. So I don't have that on this car. I could easily add it, but I like some variety in my, in my fleet. And Doctor, thank you so much for hanging out with me. I appreciate that. I, I know it's really boring, yeah. but um, people here are seeing you on, on, on Facebook and Instagram people are seeing part of you. It's pretty nice. Um, AJ says it's a bit blurry, but it doesn't matter. Thank you so much. So I appreciate that, you know. Um, Okay. Benjamin Ryan Moeller yes. wants to know, um, I want to learn more about how to make power from an engineer's perspective. Okay. Where, do, where do I start? By being an engineer. <laughs> um, I would highly encourage you to go to engineering school. And while you're in school, volunteer, intern at companies that are in the market space that you are interested in. Uh, facilities that have much technological prowess, that thing out of the box, companies that are ours, if you're overseas, if you're in the Middle East, if you're in the UAE, you can hit them up, and they'll be more than happy to take you in an internship capacity. But nonetheless, that's the best way to learn. Um, I would shy away from shops that just take things and bolt on. That doesn't help you. And I would interact in sessions like what we have here on Tech Tuesday to be able to learn and ask questions. And as an engineer, I'd be more than happy to help you with that information. But definitely, we need more scientists, we need more engineers that have passion for everything automotive. So by all means, explore that, explore an internship, and you have a blast. Formula SAE. You know, Sam says Formula SAE, but you know, they are very selective on who they bring in there. That's a good place to get exposure to, but usually Formula SAE, they only let like a dozen people in, and there are thousands of engineering students. But if you can get your Formula SAE, absolutely, that's a place. You can learn a lot, interact with your peers and other companies, and it looks good in your resume, too, which is great. You know? You're starting with mechanical engineering. EJ6, God bless you. Thank you so much. We need more MEs. Even though we chemies make fun of you. Okay. <laughs> so, yes, sorry. Uh, a question from Z. Reinerson. Z. Reinerson, okay. What are your thoughts on compound turbocharging? I think it's clever. Um, using a smaller super, uh, turbocharger and feeding a larger one or vice versa gives you the best of both worlds. It allows you to experience low RPM power and high RPM power with a much lower chance of experiencing lag. It can also compound significantly, as the name implies, to give you way more boost, even at lower wastegate spring pressures. The challenge is complexity. So complexity and space, being able to fit it in the confines of an engine bay. Luckily today, we now have partners with Turbonetics and, and, and also Precision Turbo that make very efficient aerodynamic wheels where we can have a much wider range of power with a much wider range of boost and much wider range of efficiencies in the compressor map. So that's very nice. And then electronics with engine management systems of modern day allows to have anti-lag functions. So it's not really so bad, but I love the concept. So I hope that helps. AJ question again. AJ! For a stripped out endurance circuit race car with a four cylinder diesel engine. Okay, oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> which of the following two setups would you favor the most for optimum performance and fuel consumption? Okay. A lightweight but not very aerodynamic shape, 
or a much heavier but very aerodynamic shape, using the classic Mini and first-gen Insight as examples. Using a Mini and Insight actually is a good example for me to compare because both cars don't have the capability of going super fast. So the barrier that exists um, in trying to overcome resistance, aerodynamic resistance from wind at higher speeds um, won't be such a challenge because you can get an insight with a smaller engine so fast and same with a Mini. So at lower vehicular speeds, I would opt for the Mini, lighter weight with a smaller power potential and endurance application. If we had to exceed speeds that constantly hover in the triple digit range, the heavier insight would be, would be decent, would be decent. Um, so I would say the speeds encountered would be the determining factor. But all things being equal, knowing those two platforms, I'd go with the Mini. Lighter weight, smaller engine. Hope that helps. Question from Alex MKV. Yes. How do you feel about Subaru WRX engine swapped into old air-cooled? <laughs> They're not just laughing because we were talking about that early on. And I appreciate the creativity that goes into putting a flat four, a Chevy V8, a Coyote engine into a Porsche. I appreciate the technology and creativity that goes into that, especially if you can make everything work with the factory gauges and so on and so forth. But I'm not a huge advocate of intermixing marquees. I always give that weird look. She says 2J everything. <laughs> um, but I'm not a big advocate, and, and, and some of my clients are not either. So the closest thing I would do is put, and we talked about this earlier, is like a V8 um, Cayenne engine in a Porsche 911. But as much as cool as it is, I'm not a huge advocate of it. Um, thank you. Have a great day as well, CP. I appreciate that. We're at the 49th minute, which is pretty crazy. Um, and I may have to go out and come, out, come up back in because we have still so many questions and you guys have so many great ones to ask as well. Yo, street to track. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Wow, six minutes, ET. Wow, that's, that's really... Who's winning, Clint? Let me know. Since there's six minutes left in the Belgium-France game. That's really close in their neighbors, too, yeah. which is pretty interesting, you know. Um, so what do I think about the CRX F22 single cam 99? I'm very, very proud of those Puerto Ricans. So if you remember, the F22 is what I use in my Insight, and we run 920. Um, in my CRX, I got it to 98, and that was in, wow, 2002. So the fact that people haven't abandoned the F platform is very exciting. Um, we ran 9s in 2002. And now um, we've got the insight down to low nines, and eights are just a sneeze away, which is pretty nice. But I'm very proud of them. It's very, very nice indeed. So thank you for sharing that. Yes, sorry. Tom Blaze wants to know yes, Tom what Blaise. specific mods would you do to which six, I mean, sorry, which flat six to put in a 911 SC 3.2 chassis? I want to make a supercar. I would, in a G body, um, pretty much what we did a couple years ago. Oh, good. Thank you, Clint. That's very good. Francis, Francis is making it happen. Um, I would put in a 993, because 993 is very hands-off-ish. You don't have to worry about valve adjustments because it has hydraulic lifters. Um, or, nine, or, or 964, a 3.6, the latest and greatest air-cooled engine with ITBs, custom exhaust manifold, proper sequential injection, and that would be a nice swap. That would be really, really, really cool. Um, AJ's eyes and chances of eight off the trailer. Yes, it can happen. It's my driving. It's a driver. <laughs> she makes a lot of power. So it's possible. But um, I like to keep you guessing. So we'll see what happens when I put it back together. Okay. 
Um, but yes, that's what I would do, and we did it. That would be very, very good, you know. Um, my constructive work is asking, what are my plans with my new road racing endeavors? Understand discipline at a certain time. Um, I would love to explore wheel to wheel. I'm a huge advocate of me against the clock. So in the whole road race arena, I think I'll have a lot of appeal, James, for time attack. I think that'd be really, really cool for me. Um, and I was agreeing. And I'm learning. I am not the kind of guy who feels I can come out guns a blazing. Um, I run decent times, but I'm not the best driver when it comes to road racing. I'm learning. I'm very fast in the straights and the slight S's, but I, I suck in the corners. I, I, I'll stuck CRX and catch me in the corners, which is pretty interesting. But I can give you this, James. I will continue on my quest to perfect my game. And by year end, I guarantee you I will be a very good driver. Driver mod. Absolutely. Who the F is N-E-U? That's a pretty interesting screen name there. Okay. So, Ari, what else do we have? We have a question from Not Skilled Here. Not Skilled Here is a question. A 2J question. I know you guys are known for unloved engines and platforms. I kind of want to see what you can do with with a somewhat unexplored but superbly strong Toyota Lexus 1UZ platform. I keep getting this question every week. I like the 1UZ. I've seen a 1UZ. It's Let them come to the Middle East. Oh, so the doctor says come to the Middle East. I'm going to turn over here. So, doctor, what has been your experience with the 1UZ in the Middle East? It's an excellent engine. It's used on, I mean, back home. They use it on dune buggies. They use it on Nissan patrols as well. Oh, right? very nice. It. And on many... Uh, cars like uh, Nissan Altima, the one we have back home, right. which is the Sapiro in okay. Japan. So it's it's a very common platform because the engine is quite cheap. Right. It's like 500 <laughs> bucks an engine. Are you serious? Yes. That's really cheap. Yeah. And uh, they actually even install it on Mercedes-Benz. You know the old ones? Yes. The SLs yes. and others? They just fit it, and it's so easy fit. Wow. And they, they, they know the trick, so it doesn't cost you even $1,000 to do the whole thing. <laughs> So the thing is that, guys, as I mentioned before, thank you, Doctor, for sharing that. As I mentioned before, I do not have a relationship with Toyota. And I haven't had the opportunity, but if the doctor approves, the good doctor approves, it may be a good opportunity. So it may be one of my passion projects later on, because I'd love to be explored, especially if it has a very good acceptance in your region. Yeah. Um, Toyota engines, those guys, they're known for over-engineering, and you never know. It may be good potential. But it's not something that I have right now at all. Yeah. So I got a message coming in. Someone's asking me, what are you talking about? <laughs> Talking about crazy car stuff, which is pretty cool. Okay, yes. Okay, we have a question from Drew Seth. Drew in Seth. In regards to the 911 as well, um, mm -hmm. the blue one. What motor did you start with? I'm ah. guessing a 3.3 intercooled motor. Ooh, that's nice of you. So the 3.3 is air-cooled. Yeah. But you'd be shocked to know, as many enthusiasts are shocked in the Porsche community, I am running an M96 3.4 engine. Yes? The cursed, cursed... Carrera C2 engine from the first water-cooled endeavor publicly for Porsche that people are scared of and run away from because of IMS bearings and rear main seal bearings and issues, or rear main seal issues and de-chunking of the sleeve issues. What I did, and this is from my experience in the Honda world, what I did was I addressed all the shortcomings of the power plant. So intermediate shaft upgrade, sleeve the block, took care of all the bearings and coated everything properly, used forged pistons and rods, valve train, all the things are challenged with the engine I addressed. And I built that car in 2008, and I drive the crap out of it. I've given the keys to people. It's really, really, really cool, which is pretty nice, you know. Um, Sleepy is asking, have I decided to build a pulse chamber for the Hyundai GF 1.6T? I'd love to. I just haven't had any demand. 
If demand is there, I will design it. No problem. AJ question. AJ question. If you wanted to add features such as individual EGTs as well as other sensors and modules, yes. would you need to modify the wiring harness in order to be able to use them for individual cylinder tuning, or could a plug-and-play ECU do the job just fine? So with a factory ECU, many of them are not set up for that. Um, even when we have elegant hacks, like what we've seen with Cobb or Hondata, um, things like that, we have to limit ourselves to bulk, when I say bulk, bulk individual cylinder tuning, where it's just a blanket plus or minus fuel trims, or so on and so forth. Oh, God, I'm getting all these crazy messages. Okay, so bulk stuff is what we can do in terms of tuning. However, however, when it comes to engine management solutions like the AM Infinity, the Series 2, we can tune individual cylinders based upon RPM and load many times. So that being said, hello, Alex. You've been missing in action, Alex. You need to come to the shop. Come over. I need to talk to you. Anyway, when it comes to that, you have a capability of doing individual cylinder tuning for ignition timing and also fueling. But you have to run a harness. Yes, you do. Um, whether it's direct inputs or using a, an opportunity to have a standalone outside that's connected to your dyno, the DynaPack new software allows me to individually look at analog outputs. And then you don't have to have it on the car to optimize. You can optimize on a dyno and send the car in the field. So it's something you can do without problems whatsoever. So that being said, I hope that answers your question properly. Wiring is involved either internally on the car or with a standalone outside the car. Most elegant hacks or flashes don't give you the capability. But standalones like the AM Infinity allows you to do that, which is pretty nice, you know? Uh, I don't know if Alfie's talking to me or someone else. No, it won't. But why would you do that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you're speaking of. Okay. We have two more minutes before we have to come in, go out, and come back in again. Five more questions. Five more questions. So, guys, I'll answer one. We'll leave, and we'll come back in again. Okay. Okay. For rants wants to know, yes. what's one car you feel is an underrated platform for projects? The platform that's underrated for projects. When someone asks that, I believe they are more interested in something that's cost effective. Yeah, the first gen Honda Insight. <laughs> He's laughing. The first gen Honda Insight, I feel, is the most underrated project car, and I'll tell you why. It's one of the two cars that Honda lost money on each time they sold one. It was the NSX, first gen, and also the Insight. Full aluminum chassis, very aerodynamic, very lightweight when you remove all the components that don't help us with performance. When I first saw that on the road with the wheel covers in the rear and the cam effect on the, on the back of the vehicle, I said that's a perfect race car. Um, AJ says the 240SX. That's a nice opinion. It's hard to find clean ones right now. People, people use them. They race them. They have fun with them. They, dr they drift with them. They have a lot of fun. I see them at the road race tracks. The inside, people just overlook. They don't look at that thing at all. And there's so much opportunity there. Take advantage of what the manufacturer did for us. Take advantage of the aerodynamics that were put into it. Take advantage of the lightweight and the full aluminum chassis. That's what I did, and I broke my I broke my records in my CRX with the Insight, and I think it can lend itself well for road racing, um, high speed, whether you're doing half mile, full mile, or even Bonneville, and when it comes to drag racing, it's, it's fantastic. I like it a lot. 
So guys, I have a few seconds. I'm getting a warning now. So I'm going to go out, come back in, and then we'll have a good time. So hang tight. Then I have, to have, I have an appointment in a few moments too. So um, I'll come back in, guys. So hang tight. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Five sixty-three viewers. The highest we got was sixty-eight, and they started dropping down after yeah. that. Yeah.